Welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast, a podcast about gaming and being a geek by two middle-aged geek dads. I'm Ken Newquist, and I escaped from Philadelphia, which can be way harder than escaping from New York. <laughs> and I am David Moore, and I want to thank John for pointing out our audio issues in the past. It does seem like we fixed them, but let us know if they've happened in the future. Today, actually, we have uh, a guest. Uh, this is our second guest on the podcast here. We've known him since before we moved into the lair when he was Overlord Chris Miller uh, at the the secret lair um, of which we are in the the remnants of uh, and the tunnels of. And so uh, he's been a longtime friend, a gamer, and has the enviable position of having been able to retire early. And so we were hoping to talk with him today about his experiences. Uh, we've talked a little bit about our experiences with gaming during COVID times, uh, but we wanted to have uh, talk with him about his gaming experiences with uh, and how they've changed during COVID times, uh, and also how his board gaming experiences have changed during COVID times as well. How you doing, Chris? Doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. I think this is the first time I've podcasted in a conversation with anybody in 12 years, so this is uh, this is pretty great. Thanks for having me. Yep. It's cool. just like falling off a mountain. I just, it's like I'm somebody again. It's, it's like I matter. <laughs> so um, we've had, I'm going to try not to talk very much because we, I want, you know, I think I've talked a fair amount about my, uh, my poor luck with gaming over the last three-ish or so years with local groups getting together and then uh, imploding. And then, you know, like just because of real life stuff and then COVID happening and, Oh, Hey, new, new gaming group. Oh, and real life stuff. And it implodes again. Um, You know, so I, I don't have a lot of it, super, a lot of experience with uh, gaming on the regular. um, Cause a lot of those COVID games also got canceled because of real life stuff. Uh, when half the group couldn't show sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris, like, like how have you found gaming has evolved over the last two ish years since COVID hit? Well, you know, I, I didn't start reflecting on this until that space between Delta and Omicron where it looked like things were going to loosen up and we were all going to start to be getting back together. I had, so coming into COVID, I had a group, or I still have a group, that I game with a bunch of guys from from, from uh, a job or two ago and friends from high school kind of combined into one group. And we've been gaming together six, seven years now. Um, and, you know, trading off who's the GM and, and that sort of thing. And then when... When COVID hit, we, you know, we moved to, you know, Roll20 or, or uh, Albert Rodeo, you know, those kind of things. But it wasn't really until that space in between uh, Delta and Omicron when I said, hey, pretty soon we're going to be able to get together and get around the table. And there was this silence that mm. took me, really took me, a, you know, really kind of knocked me off my feet. And people kind of going, yeah, but that means driving, and that means you know scheduling, and and you know it's a fair thing because people live on different sides of town here, and in you know, I'm in I'm in Cleveland, I live 
40 miles south of Cleveland. There are people up in the east suburbs and the west suburbs. And as we began to talk more, you know, people didn't want to commute to the game. Just like, just like the work situation these days, right? No one wants to commute to work. Why would you do that? Yep. You've proven you can do it online. And that was that was a, a bit of a surprise, and not an unwelcome one, but it made me think about, you know, these this same group when we tried to do virtual tabletops pre-COVID, it was like, oh, this is too hard. This is ridiculous. It's not the same. It's not the same. I don't want to do this. This is it. So, you know, a lot of it comes out of necessity, of course, and you, you adapt. But, you know, watching that happen, and then I had a second group that I was running for, which was my, uh, my, my kids' group. Um, uh, they're in... Um, they're in college, and they had some friends that wanted to start playing D anD D, and so I began running for them. And it started virtually. And this is a generation that does everything virtually. I mean, they—they, they, I've never seen such dedication. And we can get into generational differences if you want to talk about that at some time, because that's fascinating to me. Yep. But you know, um, they adapted really, really quickly to the online thing because that's where they live their lives. And it was utterly fascinating to see how well they adapted. And how it took a little while for my other group, which is a bunch of guys about our age, um, guys and girls, about our age within 10 years or so. So I guess the things that I'm, I'm seeing is really that, that desire to stay online because it's simpler and it makes the scheduling easier. Um, and, and then if you're wanting to game locally or you're wanting to game with people i've got a separate game that i'm just setting up that's hyper local we all live within three miles of one another uh okay okay so that we can schedule and get together and the commute is not an issue right you know what i mean so i guess i guess the thing i mean there, there are lots of things that we can delve into here with 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 covid and everything but i think it really comes down to people really found that they were comfortable with the online thing much more so be just because there was no other option mm -hmm. and now we're not sure they want to go back yeah like i've seen some of the same thing uh, again my luck with groups notwithstanding uh but i was talking with my girls after after talking with with you about coming on and talking about this, I was actually talking with my girls and thinking it would be interesting possibly to bring them on and, and talk about Ooh. their experiences and your experience with your kids in the college group, very similar to what I was, uh, what I was hearing was like, um, my youngest was saying, yeah, I, I play online all the time. Like the only time I don't play online is at Gen Con or another con, um, in the, in the, pre-COVID times or when you guys were running something, you know, locally here, which was also usually related to like a Gen Con or a Con sort of thing as well. And then every other game that they've played has been online. Right. And, you know, it, one of the questions I want to ask them is like, and, and I want to ask you is like, how does the role playing work there? Because one of the things that Ken and I uh, had had talked about and I'm sure other people have noticed is like when you're in a, like if you have a group and you're all sitting around, sitting on some couches or sitting in some chairs around a table or whatever, there's like side conversations, you know, mm -hmm. and side role playing and things like that. Mm -hmm. And when you're playing online, you can't do that. 
Um, because, okay. We don't know how, how, how have you guys done that? Because, um, you know, it's like you can, when you're in a room with, you know, six to eight other people, you know, like you can even be talking with someone and yet your ear can also pay attention to a conversation over across the room. Um, and yet, when you're all online in a situation similar to this one, you're going to talk over each other and it's impossible for anybody to hear anything. Um, how do you guys, how have you guys solved that? If you've been able to have those side things? Well, there's, there's a couple of things. So the college group, um, they were, um, they were very hard to focus. I think everybody had, some form of ADD or ADHD or, or something like that. So it was very bouncing all over the place. And so a lot of the, the joking and, and, and stuff going back and forth still happened. It's just, we did it in a voice chat. When I say online, let me make it clear. You know, we were, um, with a college game, it was audio only. Okay. And then a virtual, and then a virtual tabletop. Okay. Plus a discord chat where we could post back and forth. And that, that seems to be, the case with a lot of things. The the other game that I'm in, the the adult game, you know, we 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 do video, but we do you know virtual tabletop when we need to. Usually, Albert Rodeo, and then we have a Slack channel for for chat, you know, that sort of thing. And a lot of that table talk takes place in chat now. Um, okay. Just people people cracking wise, you know, whatever. And and it's it's is it the same thing as sitting around a table? No, it's not. But it accomplishes about the same thing. Um, but you know, going back to how the how the college game is was different from other games, this group was so much more into the role play than the adult game. Interesting. I mean, like real role play. Yeah, yeah. Like it's hard to their dedication to the characters. When the game ended, they had a separate little chat called Character Corner. Where they would go and role play, hey, we're around the campfire and these are the conversations we're having. They would continue playing and they would let me know of anything that came out of that that was character development worthy. I remember doing something similar when I was in college. Right. Or college age when I had, you know, time. Um, Yeah, and you know, it, it reminded me of of mushing in a big way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and take take you back, but their their dedication to the role play was just amazing, and it was really inspiring. At first, it was actually kind of frustrating to me because I wasn't used to it. It's like I can't keep up with uh, you guys are playing like twenty four seven. I can't keep up with that. But once I learned that that was kind of how they worked things out, I became envious that I didn't do that when, you know, when I had an opportunity. Well, I mean, we didn't have chat when I was in college and right. playing and all that. Right. But, you know, watching them develop their characters, asking really insightful questions. Um, and there are other different, and we can get into this, uh, different generations play differently. And and that that is an educational and, thing. And itself. even in the same generation, mm. there's different yeah. types of people. There are people that really love the mm-hmm. tabletop miniatures, moving stuff around and and optimizing mm-hmm. their build side of things. And then there's people who could spend the an entire session just talking while they're yep. shopping. 
and they yep. would have the best time of their lives. So I'm, yep. I'm more on that side um, as a player. It's, it's a little harder for me as a GM in terms of like scum and villainy uh, the way things are, but, uh, but I'm still getting used to that. So, but yeah, uh, sorry, keep going. No, no, it's, it's okay. Just, so, you know, from a role play standpoint, that was the thing is that the college group was much more into that heavy role play. The adult group began to move in that direction. We, we actually switched games during COVID. We, we had one that ran, it ended. And then I started running, um, Frost Maiden. Um, uh, the, the D and D module, the D and D, the D module, yeah. uh, rhyme of the frost maiden or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rhyme, yeah. Rhyme of the frost maiden. And I began running that and there are certain things in that game. And I added some things into it to encourage that level of role play. Cool. And they were really getting into it. Now they were a bunch of adults with jobs. And so they were not doing character corner 24 seven off in the corner, but we began to get that level of characterization that I like in a game. Cool. Um, was, that was worthwhile. Maybe we need so, to make a character corner for our our uh, scum and villainy game. So I, it's not, you know, it's not a it's not a bad idea. I mean, I think, well, our game, you're you're fighting an uphill battle a little bit with some of us in that game, just because we're not used to the style of game, right? You know, right? Um, and, and and figuring out how much agency we have. Yes. We have much more agency than any other game I've ever played. And it's kind of, I'm kind of a deer in the headlights. Yeah. It's, um, it, it, it's, and it's taking stuff to get you. It's taking uh, a lot of stuff to get a lot of effort for me to get used to it as well. Not from the agency standpoint, but from like, how do I prep for this? You know, yeah. um, because yeah. you like, as we were talking about, like shortly before, I think we started recording was like, if Aaron had been in the last the last session that we had, we would have had a, a a spaceship disguised as a giant parade float in space. How do I plan for that? You you don't you don't you don't it's improv yeah. It's, it's, so I've got a yes and yes yeah. and yeah and and I came into this game thinking I was ready to do yes and, but mm -hmm. had that actually happened in the game. I would have said yes, and then it would have steamrolled right over me, and I'd have been flat as a pancake and not known what the heck to <laughs> to do. Um, but yeah, I I will say like our current um, our current scum and villainy game has done something that my local games have not done in years, which is like had actual character backstory write ups. You know, like I like the last game that I was the last D&D game I was in, I wrote up a character backstory, but and other people talked about their character backstory, but didn't actually like write them up and share them with the group. And so it was like, how do you like we didn't get into the role play as as much as and I know that there are a couple people in that group that that love role play, but as a group, we didn't gel as role players. So I'm I like this the game we're playing right now from from that standpoint. You know, one of the real benefits of being retired is I can spend almost as much time as I want on this. <laughs> and um, well, making and, us and jealous again. Last last October, um, that that hyper local game I was talking about, I contacted four people and said, you know, I want to have a game that we play in person on the regular. Yep. You know, and and. And I, I'm not going to start running it until March. 
let's spend the next several months, because trying to schedule something to the holidays was, you know, everyone knows that's the holidays kills games. Yep. But let's start talking about characters. I'm going to plan the game, and I'm going to write up, I'm going to do all the game planning. I'm going to take months to do that. Let's start planning your characters. And we've had several, like, Game Zero, Game 2.5, or Game 0.25, Game 0.5, yep. where we all we've done is work on character background. Um, and we're switching to a system that no one's played before. We're going to use Savage Worlds. It's it's basically Savage Dresden. Yeah. So, you know, Ken, um, Ken is a big fan of Savage Worlds. So Right. I yeah. indeed am. <laughs> yes. And I, I, I love the system, but I don't play it very often. So I decided, you know, if I'm going to start something from scratch, let's let's do that. So, you know, there's a learning curve, but everybody's written up a character background. Everybody, we, we've spent hours talking about all of this, so everyone knows who they are before they sit down. Because, you know, you can play D&D very hack and slash and, you know, kick the door and loot the room and all of that. Right. Um, but if I'm going to run a world like, like a Dresden Files game, there's got to be some really heavy characterization because that's all story. Yeah. You know? Yep. And so having them really get invested in those characters is going to make the game that much more fun. And I'm thinking about doing that more often now, you know, making that part of my, maybe not months of it, but, you know, sit down and say, okay, I'm going to planning a game. If you want to play, let's start planning those, those characters and let's, let's get you invested in them so that, when things get tense, it means something to you. It's not just, oh, I'll roll a d20 and hope for the best. Yeah. And that, like, when I when I threw out the the call for people who are interested in playing Scum and Villainy, you know, that's mm-hmm. part of what I was saying is, like, what it's trying to pull in was people who are interested, like, I very specifically said, your character needs to be proactive, you know, and, mm-hmm. and to be uh, someone that that looks for adventure um, and doesn't, and is, you know, there is a time and a place and a game and many games for people to sit back and, and be, go and follow the story and listen to the story um, and fight their way through, you know, dungeon bosses, but this was not going to be that game. And so I kind of, I got a good set of people, um, Mm -hmm for our game that are, that is interested in doing that. And it sounds like kind of like when you were saying, Hey, we're going to start in March, let's start talking about our characters. Now. Um, not only did you prep them to do that, but it also sounds like, you know, like if there were people that said, no, I don't have time for that or whatever, like that might've been their out for saying, this isn't my kind of game, but maybe next time. And, you know, I, I'll be honest, you know, I picked four people that I knew would dig this, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's so, you know, but, you know, you bring an interesting thing up about just GMing. How do you GM? And as I was running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, you know, I had thrown it out there. Let's, let's, let's get together. And everybody kind of went, uh, I don't know. Um, I realized I had been running that through Roll20 and, you know, that. I had no idea how I would run it in person because mm. all the resources were on the computer yep. and, and all of that. And, you know, one of the great things about those virtual tabletops is that they are so much more robust than me rolling out a dry erase 
map board and drawing on it in, you know, and we're using coins or figs or whatever to, to, to map everything out. Having all of that on a computer screen is pretty great. Yeah. Um, yeah. hundred percent. So, you know, that, you know, but just realizing how it changed my GM style, I, because I became very reliant on the fact that you only see as much of me as is in this video screen. I can be keeping notes or I can be switching windows or I could be looking at all that kind of stuff. Whereas in person, that would be insane. Right. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I've even thought like running in person, um, even before the before times before COVID, mm-hmm. um, I'd been thinking about making like a gamer coffee table that would sit because we have yep. a, a, a nice set, of, a nice setup for gaming in our living room. Um, like when we got rid of our old, old couches, we bought new, a new couch sort of setup that would benefit people coming over. And we used it for a little while and then COVID, you know, but I was going to yep. build a coffee table that you could remove the top on. But my plan had mm-hmm. been from the get go to put a television in there so that yeah. I could do something like, like uh roll 20 and Albert rodeo wasn't out there. but, but my choice mm-hmm. now would probably be Albert rodeo. Cause it's so simple mm-hmm. to set up, but um, to do that and mm-hmm. have any combats that like, if we were playing D and D would be there. Um, yep. Even when we were in, in person, since it's in the living room, I have a Chromecast on the TV. And mm-hmm. so if I had, artwork or a person's image or whatever, uh, or even maps, uh, I could, you know, connect my, my little Chromebook that I was using to the Chromecast yep. and, you yep. know, set it in multi-monitor mode and Hey, there's the, there is, there's what you see when you enter, uh, when you enter this, uh, you know, high tech corporate headquarters, you know, as mm-hmm. your superheroes, here's, here's what you see. Um, and they're, and it worked cause they'd be like, I want to go there and they'd point at the screen mm-hmm. and, and talk about it. Um, so like I, I yeah, totally like get the whole running with a virtual tabletop and not having all the extra stuff to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had done something similar right before COVID we'd repainted our dining room because we, we realized we don't need a dining room. We don't entertain. <laughs> so we turned it into a game room and we painted everything white and I got myself a little Pico projector. Nice. And, you nice. know, I was just going to project the VTT up on the wall, Yep. you know, when it came down to combat stuff and then that would have worked. Yep. You know, there, there's lots of solutions for that in-person thing right now. Um, but I, I, it's been, it's been fascinating to watch people become comfortable with it to the point that they're not sure what to do without it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like uh, running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, I'm assuming you bought the module on Roll Twenty. Oh yeah, and yeah. I'm not going to prep all that. No, I, yeah, I like, bought it on Roll Twenty. Like here's all the monsters, and you can easily keep track of their hit points uh, per mini. You don't have to go. Oh, that's number one. Oh wait, no, that one's number one. You know, and and write their their hit points down separately yep. or whatever. Um, there is a lot of benefit to letting the computer do that for you. Um, but I've also, you know, there's being a developer myself, and I know you guys are mm-hmm. kind of in the same boat. Sometimes pen and paper is better than any app, <laughs> you know? So finding, finding, finding something like roll 20 that actually makes things better mm-hmm. than just standard pen and paper 
instead of just being a replacement for pen and paper or worse than pen and paper. You know, there's plenty of stuff out there like that now. Um, You know, it's, it's a rare find. That's why I like Albert rodeos because they're, I don't have the learning curve that I do with roll 20, but I know that buying the module on roll 20 does make things a lot easier as well. Yeah. And that's a, that's probably a whole other show is comparing VTTs. That's yeah. um, Yeah. But Ken, you look like you wanted to jump in. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I, th- I think your, your comments on, like, re-entering after COVID, I think, are, are interesting, right? So prior to COVID, um, my gaming group's been around forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we had a fairly large group, and we split it, right? Like, so half of it would be online, and half of it was in the real world, and we alternated every other Sunday. And then COVID hit. And the guys who like to play in the real world, well, I mean, they like to play in the real world. So they didn't, most of them didn't go online, a few did. Um, the rest of us stayed online. And then for the last two years, then people have started moving around. So as I mentioned previously, one of them like moved to Ecuador. Oh, <laughs> uh, one is yeah. cu- currently in Albany, right? One has uh, like a five-year-old, right? And so, um, you know, he's, uh, it's a lot easier for him to jump on uh, without having to leave his house, right? Instead of, you know, we've all had to balance kids at one point or another in gaming. And it's a hell of a lot easier to do that if you can just jump online. And so I think... You know, same as right, the same as you, Chris. Like that that sweet spot between Delta and Omicron, where you're like, all oh, right, like you start getting the band back together again, right? Like you start yeah, talking yeah. to people, like, hey, who's interested? You know, and like I know some people are gonna want to stay online, so you start like going out to all your gaming contacts and saying, hey guys, you know, I'd really like to sling some dice in the real world. What would you like to do? And we all started talking about it, maybe, and then boom, Omicron hits, mm-hmm. December mm-hmm. shuts everything down, right? And so now, like. I haven't brought it back to the group yet, but like I'm kind of on the on the cusp of that and trying to figure out like what's it going to look like and what's it going to look like. Like right now, I can probably guarantee there's at least three of us, maybe four of us, who would want a game in the real world, and it puts us in this very interesting situation. Uh, maybe scary, interesting, kind of like getting divorced, right? Like. I haven't been divorced, but I have friends who have been divorced and have told me of the experience there. I'm like, you're dating again at 50, right? Like, my gaming group's been together for 25 years, right? Like, we haven't had gone looking for group in uh, decades. And suddenly, you know, now you're on the other side of the pandemic and you're like, and there's still like all this sort of like pandemic dynamics, right? And like all Mm -hmm. that stuff that gets tied into people's opinions about how things have gone over the last two years. And now you need to try and say, okay, well, hey, new person. Do you want to join our group? <laughs> yeah. And that's, so, you know, yeah, yeah, I get you. The, the, the savage, a, I'm sorry. It's an interesting time. <laughs> yep. The, the Savage Dresden game, um, there are uh, one of the people, um, my friend James, um, he and I have been gaming since we were 16. Um, it was his basement that was, you know, the place where we game. Um, but the other three people that are in it are people we've known, but we've never really gamed with, not seriously. So that's that's very exciting. A new system is exciting. And everybody that we picked um, is in a place where if even if we get another round of COVID coming through, it doesn't affect them as much. And what I mean by that is um, my other adult group, one of the couples has small kids and you know, as long as there were no vaccines, there was no seeing them. And Mm -hmm. I mean, right, right, rightfully so no judgment, 
but it, you know, it made it, it it was it was a blocker. Everybody that's in this group either doesn't have kids or their kids are fully grown. Yep. You know, and and you know, we're in a, a place where we mitigate some of those some of those issues. You've got a so, you've got a fairly safe bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so you know, hopefully that works out to our benefit. I don't know. We'll see. But to your point, Ken, you know, it it is exciting for me to get to run for new people. Um, I can say for sure that running during COVID has made me a better game master. Um, even, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't retire until last October. So, you know, two and a half years of COVID, I was still working before that. I didn't prep all that well for my games. I mean, I'm really, I'm an improvisational GM for the most part. You know, I, I, I try to get the basics down and I, I make it up as I go. And sometimes you can feel it, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's, or at least I, I felt like you could, feel it. It, it didn't hang together the way that I liked, but during COVID, I found that even, you know, even working, you know, we, we were all developers or development managers, depending on which way you go, you know, even working 10 hours a day, not getting, not having to commute, I was still able, I was able to begin thinking more about the game I want, and making notes, having everything, something about having to run online made me want to get better at it. Cool. And made me, you know, your your point, David, about, you know, how do I how do I plan for X or how do you, you know, I I learned how to make. I used to plan games fairly linearly, or maybe maybe waterfall like, so it could cascade. I now do it in webs, and everything's that's the way I visualize it. It's a web, and if they land on something that. You know, I had no anticipation for them. Yeah, I vamp and I improv. But for the most part, I just make sure I know where everything is and I know enough to get me, you know, to, to, to get them there. Because I think you talked about this on, a, you know, a, uh, one or two podcasts ago. The, the, uh, the party will always be interested in the NPC you have no plan for. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly so. And, and so, you know, but being online, you can, you can quickly pull up the website, you know, grab some random stuff and run with it, or just, just vamp a little bit. But I think the thing that COVID made me do was really take the time to lay everything out. I think of it as a, sometimes I think of it as a web, sometimes a table, sometimes a map, but I just need to know where everything is. I can move it around if I need to, but yep. I know generally, generally the things I'll run into. And if not, then I do the best I can and I fix it in post. Um, yep. But I, you know, something about, and it may just be that I've worked at a computer for the last 30 years, but something about this forum made me better at what I do. And that, that's, I'm really grateful for that. I'm hoping I can, I'm hoping it carries over to the live game because um, I'm, I'm prepping for the live game the way that I prep for online games now. Cool. And um, it's definitely more satisfying, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. I like in terms of my prep for like one scum and villainy is very different from the games that I usually run, especially and and the games that you guys have played before. Um, you know, uh, Savage Worlds is probably as close to scum and villainy as uh, in terms of agency for the players, but it could totally be, you know, just a, uh, you know, just a lighthearted romp story as well. You don't have, you don't have, you know, it's not the, it's not the same, you know, like uh, with things we had, and we really haven't even used things like flashbacks as much in scum and villainy because we're used to playing linearly, Yeah, you know, yeah. in, in, in normal time, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um. Each, game, each game we get a little better at it yeah um and i know it's been a little frustrating for you because we keep looking at you for tell me what the world is david tell me what the world is but, yeah and and, and i and i end up going you why don't you tell me what the world is right. um but yeah i i mean one of the things that i've been able to do prepping wise is you know i use a markdown uh i, I use obsidian which is just a, a markdown oh, wow. note-taking thing and, uh, I will, because now that we're choosing the jobs ahead of time, uh, I'll, I'll be like, okay, these are the possible things that they could run into. And, and I think a little bit about them and I write a sentence or two about them Yeah. and, you know, I come up with about five or eight of them. And then while you guys are playing, depending upon the decisions that you make, I will pull in one of those items uh, that is the most fun is the most interesting and makes, mm-hmm. and makes narrative sense, you know, uh, that makes perfect sense. So, like the way I'm doing this Dresden game, it's based in Cleveland. It's my hometown. I know the history real well, mm-hmm. but you know, if you've read the Dresden files novels, you know, that there's a, there's a mob element, you know, in Chicago, it's Johnny Marcon. Well, Cleveland has a rich history of mafia. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, if you haven't seen Kill the Irishman, well worth it, about one of our local mobsters, Danny Green. Um, But, you know, I go out and I research all this stuff. And I do the same thing if it's the Forgotten Realms. I research all the stuff surrounding where they're going to be and what they're doing. And just, you know, sometimes I make a list. Sometimes it's just in my head. Mm-hmm. but I just wait for them to get snagged down a hook and I see, you know, where that pulls them. So I don't know that the Savage Dresden team, if they're going to run into any of the mob stuff that I've researched, but when they hit it, you're I'll ready. Be ready for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We kind of, yeah. And we've, yeah. we've kind of hit that before. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and you've talked about this earlier, earlier today was like the one thing that you've prepped the most of um, that I've, him now prepping the most of for especially for games like scum and villainy but needed to when we when i was running brindlewood bay was prepping the npcs like mm-hmm. knowing who they are knowing what their goals are knowing kind of yep. how their personality is um you know the last game i actually did a voice for uh the main character which seemed to go over pretty well uh <laughs> the main npc that they they ran into um you know it was uh, one of one of Ken's backstory NPCs and uh, and that seemed to go over really well um, and I need to lean into that more um, and that's something that when we 
go back to if we go back if I go back to in person games um, mm-hmm. will definitely benefit from uh, from this online play. I think um, you know Chris talking about prepping and more time prepping. I think I, I always suffered from uh, over prepping, which I've mm-hmm. rambled on about previously, and uh, you know tried to rein that in a lot and i think uh i think fate may have broke me of that because <laughs> i i think that was you know in terms of like growth during the pandemic and like actually learning stuff about gaming like fate does not want like it's 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 simple right and i kept my brain kept trying to to make everything more complicated and, and because it was a mystery and it was kind of like an open-ended adventure um, but just the NPCs themselves, right? Like a fate NPC is just a PC with maybe fewer or more attributes and aspects mm-hmm. and what have you, right? Like it's just this little constellation of, of data facts. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, being raised on Dungeons and Dragons, I'm used to a stat block that's, you know, right. oh, three yeah. pages long, right? I got to detail right. the whole thing. And in fate, I kept like, I kept... I won't say I, I bought all the books, although I think now I've bought all the books because of various humble bundles and what have you, right? Looking for like the Fate NPC book. And finally I got one. I think it's like the the Fate Adversaries Handbook or something like that. Yeah. And they, you know, it was great because it kind of showed here's what a boss looks like. Here's what a couple of helpers look like. Here's what a minion looks like. And they're really simple. So when I was working on our... Um, on our campaign for fate, you know, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, this can be a lot easier. And I think it's helped me with D and D because now, you know, th- that's what I used to do in second edition, right? My stat blocks right. for an NPC in second edition D and D were like, there's a line this long. <laughs> it wasn't a novel. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, D and D it's almost like it was written by a couple of actuaries or something. Um, <laughs> it was know. written by a, it was written by a bunch of war gamers who wanted to do more role playing and have, have but, single know, miniatures I, instead of whole armies. You if know. you if you if you came up through D and D and you imprinted on it, I mean, you look at the modules. You know, even in the old days, there was you know you know, and and so we decided we'll imitate that. We'll write those things for ourselves, right? Yep. I used to do the same thing then, and and now I do a combination of you know I, I do a lot of research, so it's in my head, and like you, David, I use Obsidian, so I keep notes in there. Um. One of the other things I became really comfortable with, especially in the college game, but I also used used it in in the adult game to some degree, though not as much. Um, stealing liberally from everything I've ever read or seen. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> the, the great thing with, with younger gamers, like you know, a generation after, so, so like if you were running for your kids, you know. They're not familiar with a lot of the tropes, a lot of the books, a lot of the things. And you can pull those things in, and you know the full character. So, like, two examples is in the college game, um, I needed an innkeeper, something that I could remember. And and so they met Londo. Oh, yeah. (laughs) From Babylon 5? My good and dear friends, welcome to my tavern. Nice. You know, and, and, yep, yep. and so, but, you know, you, you can't, you know this. Yeah. And you've got that down. And if you did that for, like, this group for Scum and Villainy, they'd know you're stealing it, but it might be okay. Right. But these other folks don't know it as well. And it just enriches it, you know. Well, I mean, steal I, from the best. 
you know? <laughs> and it's and it and honestly, it's the same in both cases, but mm-hmm. it's the feeling of oh, they know I'm stealing it from over here, so it's not right. as good. Whereas over here, they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You're an amazing right. GM. You know, there's there's a there's a, a different feel to yeah. it, even though really it's the same thing. Um, you know, recognizing the source material doesn't doesn't right. ruin it, you know. Right. Um or, you know, another one that I did have you did either of you read Saber Hagen's Book of Swords? Yes. The Books of Swords. I have they're up there on, on another I've book. I've read show. one or two of them, I think. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, Magic Swords, great story. But the swords are like characters in and of themselves. Yep. Well, like Coin Spinner and Town Slayer. Yeah, and... Coin Spinner, Town Slayer, Farslight. Yeah, t- yeah, exactly. I began to work those into the college game because it worked. Yeah. And they, I, and I, more, most importantly, I know them. I know what they do. You know, we, when we talked about um, Scum and Villainy after Scum and Villainy is over, you know, I, I, I want to pitch you guys on, you know, an Amber game because that'd be awesome. I know Amber. I know Amber backwards and forwards, probably either do fate or savage worlds for it, you know, and, and it could be a really good time, but you know, we all, especially we 50 year olds, Mm -hmm. we all have this rich background of tropes and stories and, you know, all that use all of that. Mm -hmm. And, And I don't, I mean, it's effectively, it's effectively prep. Yeah. You know, especially like with your college game, you've prepped it. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, great, great authors borrow or uh, good authors borrow, great authors steal. You know, it's, it's a hundred percent that Um, I have, I have no qualms about stealing from things. I've done it for years and years. Um, Mm -hmm. And occasionally I've been caught on it, Uh, you know, but but at the same time, people just still had fun with it. So well, that, it's not like you're going to jail or people are going to quit your game because you're pulling Elric Meldebone out and he's right. one of your one of the characters they meet. Yep. Yeah. No. It's so anyway. I think I got a lot more comfortable with that sort of thing during the pandemic cool. and began to feel like it's the old thing. You know, sometimes some people say there's only seven stories. I always like to say there's only one story. Somebody goes, somebody comes to town or somebody leaves town. Um, <laughs> and you can't struggle to be original. The best thing you can do is remix all the tropes that we've had before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's okay. And once you get okay with that, I find that a lot of the other stuff just falls into place. I mean, if you so, remix enough, I mean, well, West Side Story is Romeo and Juliet, but right. West Side Story is its own thing. Yes, mm-hmm. the plot flows similarly, but who mm-hmm. cares? You know, um, yeah. you know, it, uh, when uh, when my girls were at, at Macy's in New York this year, this last year, um, last Thanksgiving, uh, we went and saw Wicked, which is the first time we saw it. Yes, it is the story of Wizard of Oz, but it is told from a completely different perspective, which makes it a completely different story, which is yep. and, and just as as cool as any other story. So, yeah, I, remixing, grabbing and like 
reading modules and taking whole or part of the module and sh- and putting mm-hmm. it in your campaign setting uh, and <laughs> and changing it enough so that it fits. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's tried and true, at least on my side of, of the gaming spectrum. But I mean, it's really cool to hear that now that you've been gaming online via COVID and, and with another generation of gamers, mm-hmm. you are more comfortable with doing that because I think we all should be. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, we we get uptight about these things, whether it's, you know, prepping or it's not like people are it's not like you're writing a novel and people are expecting it to be original. I mean, you're sitting down for d d Yeah, you don't want to waste anybody's time. You want them to have a good time. But so why not use why not use things from the past? I mean, I, I'm mm-hmm. dying. All right, I'm I'm dying. I've got a, a an NPC in my head who's based on Archie Bunker that I just can't wait. <laughs> oh man, to get into a game. Oh. And Archie become, Bunker would it would be like he was bad. Like he was a bad yeah, example Archie, of a Archie human Bunker, being back or back when he was on. Elves, but now elves, yeah, elves are all fairies. I don't know. Oh. I just don't. Yeah, but I mean he. But he's such a character, and as long as, you know, I, I I don't want him to be objectionable, obviously. You know, I don't... I mean, but, you could. I mean, yeah. there are objectionable people in the world, well, so... D&D but you want him to be comedically objectionable, I'm guessing, is yeah. what you're... Not, not yes, like... Com- comedically objectionable, yeah. right. I mean, you know, they're, they're making great strides with D&D these days and introducing diversity and all that, and I think that's really great. Especially when you look and you realize that it's all r- racism within the game itself. You know? Yeah, elves versus dwarves, dwarves versus orcs. Yeah, and and the fact that, um, like back when we really started, it was fine to kill all orcs, right? Just complete wholesale slaughter, or as many mm-hmm. orcs or evil races as possible. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Drow elves were an evil race right. and all happened to be black. Right. Mm. You know, right. and I don't even know that I don't even know that any of that was intentional or it probably was not, but it was it was so <laughs> ingrained yeah. in the psyche of people and they were probably just like let's we need to make elves we want to make evil elves but we want them to be visually different. How do we do that? You know, it may have just yeah. been like that and then no, but, but the problem was, is there was no extra thought about, well, what about the social connotations of that? Well, <laughs> blunt, and, and, and bluntly, this is probably a topic for another show with people on that are not three middle-aged white guys. Also um, agree. But yeah, you know, but so, uh, yeah. I don't know if you intended this as a segue uh, or, uh, or anything, but like, yeah. you know, we had put together a list of questions and stuff that, that we shared mm-hmm. with you earlier, but we were talking about getting into the changes in like the diversity of gaming compared oh, right. like then to now. Uh, like yeah. I have not read Tasha's cauldron of everything, but, but I know that's on our list of uh, adding diversity with, with that book in particular and, you know, the fate accessibility toolkit, that's out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, for people that are, are not able, you know, right. in, in a variety of ways. So jumping on that, the college game that I ran, 
everybody in it was non-binary or trans, except me. Okay. What was fascinating about that is Tasha's had come out, and people were, you know, really customizing their characters, going to a, a level that I had never seen before, which is fine. But it was interesting to watch these trans guys or or non-binary folks play straight-up gendered people in the game. Okay. Now, 50-year-old, 50-year-old guy trying to keep all the pronouns straight, the player's pronouns are different than the than the character's pronouns and all that. Eventually, I, I got it right. But watching the thoughtfulness that they put into these characters and having a backstory that was trauma-informed. And a couple of them were actually using the game to kind of work out old personal trauma. They were... They were bringing these characters and taking something that was a part of them and putting them into it. And they didn't so much say it, but as as a grown-up with a little bit of wisdom, I could see... You have experience of, yeah. of stuff. Yeah. You know, and so we were able to tailor the game to address some of these things. Now, I'm no therapist, you know, nothing like that. But if you can put them in a situation where they feel empowered... And they're doing it through their character, watching the way, like, we had one guy who was really, really anxious. Like, any time I would ratchet up the tension, mm-hmm. you know, one time he, he shut down. We had to stop the game because he began to have an anxiety attack. Now, obviously, that is not my intention right, with right. the game. But watching him work through that and watching... Like all of these folks had anxiety to some degree or some something like that, which is radically different from my adult game. The adult game, people will rush in and do things. The college game, it took them a while to feel like they were empowered and had the agency to do original things within the context of the game. Hmm. And I'm 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 sure there's some there's some commentary on the way different generations are raised and maybe the messaging that this that the 20-somethings got that maybe the 50-somethings didn't and, and all of that. But watching them blossom within this game and feel more comfortable talking as their characters than also out of character was really really rewarding Mm -hmm. and honestly the first six months i was a little i was a little lost and i was also a little irritated because i couldn't figure out how to get them to commit to action i mean role play is great but eventually you want to do something in D &D other than sit around the campfire and talk Mm mm-hmm but they're, they were so sensitive to risk that we had to get them to the point where they believed in the character enough to take the risk and trust me enough that I'm not just going to kill them off. Right. Right. You know, 
And so that I mean, but the two generations play completely differently. Yeah, and, and learning that was was utterly fascinating. There's a middle generation in there. Some of the millennials, my wife, um, her sister. I was running a, a quick game for them, and they grew up on point and click, like Mist style games, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So. Their MO was to go in, pick everything up, search everything, inspect everything, see what everything did. Mystery and, and games would 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 yeah. be a huge hit with them. <laughs> right, exactly. But that's not D&D as I know it. And so right. it took a little while to get there. So just, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that um, through COVID and through running these games, learning how different generations game has, one, made me a better GM, I feel. Mm-hmm. But also, as this ability, which I think a lot of us know, to to connect people and make them stronger, um, mm-hmm. and that was really that was super rewarding to see. Very cool, yeah. Like it, it's interesting because it it touches on stuff that Ken and I have talked about before with things like um, like Gamma World. Um, I'm a huge fan of old school Gamma World. And they mm-hmm. ha- have uh, Mutant Crawl Classics is out now, uh, yep, as well as that. Dungeon Crawl Classics. And yep. like rereading, and I actually ran uh, uh, like a second or third edition uh, Gamma World game uh, a year or two ago. And uh, it was really weird because the game that I remember in my head was not the game that was on paper. The mm-hmm. game that was on paper assumed people would die, and yeah. I was always, uh, I was always a much more, and I don't know why, I was always much more role playing type of type of player and attached to the character that I was playing, and didn't want to see that character die. And I write up backstories, etc. And it was more of let me explore these old ancient places and loot them and get you know, get their stuff, um, mm-hmm. which that was definitely also a part of Gamma World it, as written. But, uh, you know, going in and kicking that door and and killing the monster and taking their stuff was how D&D, uh, being mm-hmm. the predominant one back when we started, that was how that game was run. That was how that game was always presented. And I think mm-hmm. even now that's changed with... Yeah. Uh, with like, if you look at fifth edition characters, even at first level, they are superheroes. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> you know it is so hard to kill a character at first level. Can it be done? Sure, but but it is well, like talk to my saltmarsh characters. <laughs> yeah, like hold my beer. <laughs> like I had a second. I, I ran a second edition game. Uh, one of my like it, probably the shortest game I've ever run was. Uh, you know, I, I ran it in our do- in the dorm room at, at Purdue, and everybody made first level characters, and I put them against five kobolds, but I ran the kobolds smart, and like the kobolds had a net, and you know the the mage cast their one sleep spell and put some of the kobolds to sleep, but not all of them. The mage was done, you know, for the combat because first level they only have one spell. You know, and but now in fifth edition, you're a lot more capable. Well, um, yeah, I, I think 
I think you bring up a good point that that characters are a um, lot more heroic. Yeah. Um, which is good. I like that. Um, if I could throw out a recommendation, um, one of the books I picked up during COVID was uh, The Monsters Know What They're Doing. Okay. Um, nice. Um, it, it's a guy, he keeps a blog, and he writes up different monsters and how, based on their stats, they are best run, like optimized. Gotcha. And um, it turns out goblins are pretty badass when they've got the hide as a, as a bonus action, you know, and, and, you know, he as long as they have the intelligence to use their tactics, yeah, exactly. they can be really deadly people. Like kobolds right. were always deadly. Had you run them as intelligent creatures like they I are. Always liked, I always like giving them a necklace of fireballs. So that was <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, that's neither here nor there, but you know, I think that, one of the things that's really come out in the intervening years between like red box and now, um, people want to be heroes. Yeah. They want to be the hero of the story. Yeah. And you know, with war gaming, one of the thrills is, am I going to die during this next thing? Is this thing going to kill me off? I um, think, I think the, but, the words you just used there are very important. People want to be heroes, not, they want their characters to be heroes. They right. want to be heroes. And so they embody right. themselves in their characters. You know, I, we've def, I've definitely been in games where it was gaming as therapy, you know, similar mm -hmm. to your college games in, in certain ways. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, characters are much more a, can be much more a surrogate for you as a, as a player. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And well, I mean, didn't everybody go through the phase where they made themselves as a character? Oh yeah, yeah I, I, I did a whole, <laughs> I did a whole vampire game, which, which to this to this day, I will still have people who were in that game saying like that was one of the best games I've ever played in, which is very humbling because I didn't do a whole lot, uh, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, I said, hey, here's the vampire first edition book. Make yourselves. Don't care about the points. Just go through mm -hmm. care. Go through all the character, the skill descriptions, mm -hmm. and make mm -hmm. yourselves. And then we ran that. So that was yep. a very literal. <laughs> make yourself mm -hmm. as a character. And they had there's tons no, of fun. There's, there's no, there's. I, I know there are gamers out there. They probably also play Dark Souls, which is a horrible thing. But you know, that. <laughs> that feel like, oh, I want it to be realistic and I want people to be able to die. And there is something to be said for people to feel that there's an element of risk, you know, um, but there's nothing wrong with giving a trigger warning if that's coming. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, people are there to have fun. Have fun. And there's you know, more. Let them, let them pull off a stunt. Let them, let them, because, you know, in an era of Marvel movies. Yeah. Let them be a hero. There are there are many more risks than just character death oh, that yeah. you can play. Yeah. Um and Marvel <laughs> movies also prove that. You know, yep. um they didn't stop Thanos the first time. Right. Well, and that is an important lesson that I watched the college kids learn. And even the adults had to learn it uh during this session, which was bad things build character. Yeah. You know, your character yeah. remembers these things and you'll do things differently <clears throat> because of it. That was one of the so, things that Spirit of the Century, which was like the proto fate <laughs> game, yep. um, really 
drove home to me, which is um, bad things or bad choices or other things like that can actually lead to very interesting and fun games. Which I think we're embracing in Scum and Villainy to bring it back around. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we, none of us are shy about making, you know, sometimes taking the devil's bargain yeah. or doing something that we know is dumb, but the character would do it. It is, it is one of the, one of the game. It, I think it, that, and of course, Blades in the Dark, which is where it's, where the original system comes from. These, the, the Forged in the Dark style games are built to make bad decisions as part of play. Um, you know, there's the whole downtime of, of indulging your vice to bleed off stress, <laughs> you know, and in, in Blades in the Dark, it's even more so because your group is, you know, in, in Scum and Villainy, you could be a group of freedom fighters, you know, and they, you could mm-hmm. be the goody two shoes of the, of the galaxy. Whereas in Scum and Villainy, you are a literal street gang and yep. there are rules for when your, when your character gets thrown in prison, how to take over that prison a la mob style and run the prison and run your gang from the inside. You know, yep. um, there's a lot of stuff like that. And, and it, it does lead to cool stuff. Um, you know, it, it, you know, I, I ha- Go ahead. So I was just going to say, I, I, I would have thought, you know, I, I had this thought after we were already in Discovery Villainy that it, it might have been good to do a, uh, like, uh, a, an episode of Fiasco or like a two-parter of Fiasco <laughs> yeah, as a palate yeah. cleanser because Fiasco totally takes you out of the D&D mindset and it kind of like reboots your brain a little bit, right? Because as part of the storytelling, first of all, it all is going to end badly, but you're going to have fun doing it. Um you have a choice with every action as to whether you're setting the scene or you're taking the, or you're you're just making a decision. Right. And so depending on what you want to do with your character, you'll choose one of those. And then the other players either choose the action or choose the scene. Right. And so it's very interesting and it just kind of, it it breaks your brain in interesting ways (laughs) and nice ways that would help with comfortability, right. To get you out of that D and D mindset. Yep. I apologize. I've kept you. I've, we've been rambling all over the place. I don't know if we accomplished <laughs> what you wanted to talk about. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of cool stuff in here. I, I was actually yeah. about to say, you know, we've, we have gone on for an hour. Uh, I think there's <laughs> plenty more that we could talk about in the future. So I think if, if you, if you'd be willing, I think we'd, we'd, we'd have you on again to talk about stuff like this. Um, I've really enjoyed this. I don't get to t- ever since my friendly local gaming store shut down. I don't get to talk to people about this stuff much. So yep, yeah, yep. count me in. Guys. I mean, it's I part of the really reason I, I I reached out to Ken and we started this whole thing was was to you know talk talk with people uh, about stuff like this because I don't have this sort of outlet locally either. So, um, yeah. but for those of you out there watching, thanks for watching. Uh, if you're listening on a podcast, thank you for listening. Uh, if you have feedback, we love feedback. Uh, you can send it to us at podcast at layerofsecrets.com or via Twitter at Layer of Secrets. Uh, we, as some of you know, because you're watching, uh, we stream this live on Twitch. Uh, Tuesdays is when we do our uh, most Tuesdays. A lot of times life intervenes, but uh, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern is when we're on Twitch. And we're the scum and villainy game that we've been talking about. Uh, we're going to run through probably end of April ish, 
Uh, and that's on Thursdays at around 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, so uh, if you want to get your fix on those things, uh, we're twitch.com slash layer of secrets, uh, one word. And you can also visit layerofsecrets.com, uh, which is the actual website. So you can leave us feedback, topic ideas, or your own thoughts on what we've talked about. So thanks, everybody, and have a great day.